I want to cover some scripture that I think will help you. Many times as I teach lectures you know, in college, I know that they hear things that sometimes the people in church do not hear. And opinions are formed by individuals about the nation of Israel, about Jewish people. And there has been such uh, anger and hatred toward the nation of Israel and Jewish people in general that I believe that people need to be warned about what God has to say in his word about the nation of Israel and that they are the apple of his eye. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis in chapter 12. Genesis in chapter 12. And then I want you to follow along with me in my notes because I wanted you to have a copy of these lectures because they are so important because of the times in which we live. And I believe that they will help you to see the value of the Word of God as it fulfills the prophecies that God has given. You'll notice in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis in verse 1, Now the Lord has had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now the Lord says that he called Abraham to go into a place, because the earth is the Lord. He created the heavens and the earth, and he can give the land to whomsoever he chooses. And he's the one that gave that piece of property over there to the nation of Israel. It belongs to Israel. And it doesn't matter what any other nation or combination of nations in the United Notions has to say about it. God has spoken. And he says, and thou shalt be a blessing. We talk about Israel will be a blessing. Also to understand that all families of the earth shall be blessed. So they were to be a blessing because they were going to receive blessings from God. They were the ones that God was going to use to write the word of God so that we would have a copy of the scriptures, the mind of God on paper, and that God used the nation of Israel through the prophecies to bring the Messiah into the world, and also that the nation of Israel would be a light to the Gentile nations upon the earth. Israel has not done everything like it should, and they have not been the light to the world that they should have been, but we have an awful lot to be thankful to the nation of Israel, because God says that through the nation of Israel, all families of the earth would be blessed. That blessing is not a curse, but a blessing. It means that God will save everyone on the face of the earth to those who will accept Jesus Christ, their Messiah, as their Savior. So if you accept Christ as your Savior, you have been blessed with the free gift of eternal life, which God promised before when he made a promise to Abraham because he believed in the Lord and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So we have righteousness given to us because of faith and faith alone. So Israel was a blessing to the world. And I'm just going to throw this in for a little extra. So when you leave, you can put a little extra in. Now, and that is, America has been blessed because of the nation of Israel. America has been blessed because there were people who believed this book. And if you know Christ as your Savior, 
you have been blessed because Christ died for you. And he says, salvation is of the Jews. So there's an awful lot that we need to be thankful for. And believe it or not, I believe all the nations of the earth have been blessed, not only from personal salvation, but because they understand a little bit about what liberty is all about and freedom is all about because of this book right here. God elevated the women. This Bible is truth. Our laws, the founding doctrines came from this book. So it is our foundation. And this book came from the nation of Israel. So therefore we owe Israel an awful lot and we should be very thankful. And God made this statement in verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. God will curse any people, nation that curses Israel. It's just not over yet. God will allow people to curse the Jew and curse Israel, but his judgment isn't over yet. But it is coming, the judgment of the Lord. Now, look there in your notes, and we'll try to cover as much of this as we possibly can. Isaiah 7, 14 Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. That was written almost 700 years before Christ came. Because, well, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive. Not just a young woman. Young woman having a child is a normal thing. This is a little bit different. The Jewish people say they will expect a sign from God when the Messiah comes. So they will know truly who is the Messiah. God has already given them their sign at the birth of Jesus. Mary was a virgin and yet had conceived. This was the sign God promised. Mary was the mother of the flesh God took upon Himself when He came into the world. Now notice the fulfillment in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 25. Now notice what it says. But while He, this is in the New Testament, 700 years later, while he, Joseph, thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. That which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. It was not a man. Jesus was not born because he was conceived by a man. This was by the Holy Spirit. And notice the next statement. And she shall bring forth a son... Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. Before he was ever born, he had a purpose in why he was coming, and that was to die on the cross to pay for all the sins of the world. So many times in his life, he says, my hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. And then he says, my hour is come. When he came into the world and the purpose was to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, because he didn't want us to pay for them. He paid for them. The next statement, you'll notice there, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. His name meant God with us. But it's the fulfillment of a prophecy made 700 years before by Isaiah. Now notice the next statement. 
Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And notice the next few words. Knew her not. He did not have sexual relations with Mary till after Jesus was born. So Joseph could not have been the father of Jesus. The father of Jesus was the Holy Spirit of God. And so, knew or not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, he could not be the father. Isaiah 9, 6 makes this statement, and this is an awesome verse. Back there in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The one that was going to be born. Remember, it says the child. The child is born, but the son was given. Mary was the mother that helped produce that body. But the son has always been. The son has always been eternal. But he came into this world and took upon flesh. And that, the Bible calls in the book of Luke chapter 2, that holy thing, Jesus, that holy child. And that's what he was. He had no sinful nature. That's why Jesus never sinned. He was without sin. You and I, we're born with sin. That's why we sin. That's why we do the wrong that we do. But now notice where I have the word in bold. Notice the Son of God wasn't born. The Son of God has always been. The Son was given. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did God send His Son? He gave Him as a payment for our sins, so that we, just by believing, could have eternal life. That's the purpose of it, so that we can go to heaven when we die. And I've mentioned this before. You've seen the movie on the Passion, and you see other ones that have been made about Christ. But they missed the point. They all missed the point. Why did he come? Why did he die? Well, he was just taken and brutally murdered and blah, 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 blah. It was by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God that they would take him, and by wicked hands they would slay him. And they did. But why did God let it happen? So that he would die to pay for the sins of the world. So that you and I could have eternal life as a free gift. And so it was done. He is the mighty God. It says the one that's going to be born. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. How can you have an everlasting father unless you have an everlasting son? Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Jesus is God himself who came to earth. In the form of a human being, so that he could pay for our sins. Now look down at the bottom of the page. At the birth of Christ, Luke records, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he, the Lord God, hath visited and redeemed his people. That's what he did. God created the heavens and the earth. And he says, hey, I'm coming. One day I'm going to come into the earth. I'm going to be born and I'm going to live, and I'm going to do all these things, and I'm telling you in advance because I know that you're hard-headed and you're stiff-necked, and I'm going to let you know. So you'll recognize me when I come. I'll even tell you where I'll be born and how I'll be born, what nation I'll come through, and I'll tell you what tribe, and I'll tell you what family, and I'll tell you what city, and I'll tell you all of this in advance. And then when he came, he says they knew not who he was. 
It wasn't because God didn't tell us. It's just like today. It's not that God hasn't told us how to go to heaven. It's that people don't believe it. You tell them you're saved by faith and faith alone, by grace, without works, and they can't believe it. Why do you think Christ died? To pay for my sins. Why? So you wouldn't have to pay for them. But you've got to earn your way to heaven. Do you understand what grace is? Grace is unmerited. It means you don't deserve it. And yet people go to church all their life trying to deserve to be saved, deserve to go to heaven. If you're working toward deserving it, you can't have it. You can't have it. God can't save anybody who's trying to save themselves. He can only save those who trust Him completely. Nothing else. You can only trust Christ. You can only believe that what He did was sufficient. Not what you do is not sufficient. You couldn't save yourself. You can't even help. And that's why when Jesus was born, He was called Christ the Lord. And that's who He was. Page 2. The Bible says in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, Old Testament, about 500 years before, he says, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judea, yet out of thee shall he come forth, that it be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old everlasting. Whose going forth has been from old, from everlasting. There were two Bethlehems. Bethlehem Ephratah, northern part of Israel, Bethlehem Zebulon. Notice that God is specific in his prophecies. Who was this that would come out of Bethlehem Ephratah? This was someone who had been alive forever previously, from everlasting. These are characteristics belonging only to God. The one that was going to come into the world has always been. And that's God. God took upon flesh. It came with a son. How you can explain it, you can't explain the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No more than you can understand and explain the three parts of an egg. The egg, the, you know, the yolk, and the white, and the, the shell. It, yeah, but one of them by itself is not the egg. All three together, that's an egg. But you got water, you got H2O, you got solid liquids and gas. And whatever it is, it's still H2O. But you find out that trying to explain the Godhead is a difficult thing because you and I, he says, your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. And he says in the book of Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belongeth unto the Lord. So there's things God has revealed and there's things God hasn't revealed. And then some of the things God's revealed, he doesn't explain. No more than he did when he said in the very first verse in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't explain. He just stated it and you can take it or leave it. He didn't try to prove himself. He said, I was there in the beginning. I did it. Now, we ought to at least listen to the one who claims to have been there. He says he was there. You take an evolutionist, where did you come from? Well, millions and billions of years ago, there was nothing. Have you ever seen something come from nothing? As Spock would say, that's illogical. <laughs> so I believe it's easier to believe that uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Because the other is blind faith. Now notice, and I want you to see this, Isaiah 53. Look there. This was written 700 years in advance. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? This is a prophecy about the nation 
of Israel as a whole would reject the Messiah. Remember, this is a prophecy in advance saying that when the Messiah comes, Israel as a nation would reject the Messiah. Well, la-di-da, Christ was born. Did Israel accept their Messiah or reject the Messiah? They reject him. What the Bible already said, that's what they were going to do. You see, the Lord knows in advance, and that's why he says in verse 1, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is the power of God. That's Christ when he came into the world. Who's going to believe this report written 700 years in advance before it ever happens? And he says, let me describe it for you. And he goes through and he describes and tells us what's going to take place. And you look there at the scripture, John chapter 12 and verse 37, 38. I have it in bold, so you'll know where I'm at. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? You say, well, Jesus could have made himself do all that trying to fulfill these scriptures. It didn't say that Jesus did that. It says the people did this. The people rejected him. He didn't make them reject him. They rejected him. They fulfilled the scriptures. Did you put the whole nation together and let's make up this story and let's make this all happen like, no, no. No. Look at number three, verse three here. I want you to see verse three. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus was despised then, and Jesus is despised now. Let me tell you this. I've had people tell me this. I despise that damnable teaching of eternal security. You are despising Jesus Christ. You're despising God. Because if it's not eternal security, there is no security. And if there is no security, there is no good news. The good news of the gospel is that when a man trusts Christ as Savior, God saves him forever. Christ paid for all of my sins. Not most of them, not some of them, all of them. He left nothing undone. And he sat down on the right hand. He said, it's finished. Now either it's enough or it's not enough. He didn't come to show me, if I live like Jesus, I'll go to heaven someday. I can't live like Jesus. I tried walking on water. <laughs> it didn't work. I've been underwater sometimes too many times. And I didn't naturally float to the top either. I've had some wonderful experiences. Well, they weren't wonderful. <laughs> Catastrophic events in my life. But no, I haven't been able to produce fish sandwiches for everybody. But if everybody comes to the gym, we're going to furnish food for everybody. But I didn't do it myself. But there's a lot of things you cannot make happen. You can't do. You can't save yourself. The Bible says when the disciples asked Jesus, this is hard to understand. Uh, if what you're saying, Jesus, is true, then it's impossible. How, how can a man be saved? And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That means it's impossible for a person to save themselves. You will never live good enough to deserve to be saved. Never, because it's impossible. That's why we all needed a Savior. And since we've all sinned, we all need the same Savior, and we all get saved the same way. 
You either trust him or you spend eternity separated from God in hell. And that is by faith alone in what he did on the cross for you. So when you believe he paid for your sins and you believe that, then you're not trying to earn your way to heaven because you know you're already going. Why? Because I don't have any sins to pay. I've got a payment for all my sins. All my sins are paid. And that's the best news in the world. There is no other way. Look at this. God came to earth in person and the world didn't recognize him. What an oversight. Talking about getting it wrong. It's almost like listening to people talk about, you know, what happened to Benghazi. What difference does it make? When it comes to salvation, what difference does it make? All roads leads to heaven. Oh, really? You talk about getting it wrong. You're really going to get it wrong. And you think, well, it can't be just by grace. You just can't tell me that all you got to do is just believe. Okay, maybe I can't tell you that. Because if I can't tell you that, God can't tell you either. But that's what God says. Now, I'm not a judge. I just tell you what the judge said. And the judge says, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides upon him. Look down at number four. Verse four there. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Jesus understands all the sorrow and trouble the Jewish nation has gone through. And he loves them with an everlasting love. And he wants them to find rest in him. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stoneth them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. You wouldn't come to him. You see, God loved the nation of Israel. And he says, salvation is of the Jews. And the Jews would suppose to believe on this salvation, which was Christ, and be a light to the Gentile world. And Israel blew it. They blew it. They messed it all up. And so much could have been done. You see, when you start reading and understanding some of this, you think of how often when he cried over as he wept over the city of Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together? But you would not. See, God does not work against your will. He will not make you believe on him. He will not make you trust him. He did not make the nation of Israel accept him. He didn't make them. And when they led him to the slaughter as a sheep before her shears is done, so he opened not his mouth. He did not defend himself. He allowed people to do to him anything they wanted to do to him. They wanted to slap him. They slapped him. Crown of thorns on their head, sticks over his head, beat him in the face, pull out his beard, you name it. They could do anything they wanted. They spit on him. They mocked him. All the fun they made of him. Then they said, well, if you're who you claim to be, why don't you come down here and save yourself and save us? And if he had came down, he could have saved nobody. He had to die. And look at all the shame that he went through. But it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because he knew that once the payment was made, what was going to be the results of it? That's why I love that one song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You ever heard that song? Anybody ever heard that song? When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He was thinking about me. He wasn't thinking about y'all. He was thinking about me. <laughs> he looked down through the telescope of time and says, Oh, look, at that. there's that Yankee 2,000 years from now. I love that boy. <laughs> but God so loved the world, loved everybody, 
and he made a payment for our sins. Now look at this number five, verse five. But he was wounded for, and remember, this is 700 years in advance. This is what the Bible says before Christ ever came. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Notice that four times in this one verse, the substitutionary death of Christ is referred to in advance. And though he came, and they killed him, and yet the Bible says they esteem him not. He was smitten by God. No beauty that we should desire him. Now, if you were God, and you were going to come into the world, wouldn't you make yourself the most handsomest man in the world? The Bible says he had no beauty that they would desire him. In other words, he must not have been too much to look at. Now, I believe he was a carpenter. He had to have a few muscles, you know, kind of like myself. Okay, maybe not. But I believe he was a man's man. I don't believe Jesus would have one those sissified, you know. I don't, I don't think none. Long hair. You hear about this hippie? He had long hair. And he walked out of his apartment and he walked down the street and there's some people on the corner. He walked up to him and says, Hi, what y'all doing? They said, We're killing all the sissies. Is that right? <laughs> now that's the word repent. It's called changing your mind. Look at the next statement down there. The New Testament says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And it says that we are being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Christ died for our sins. Prophesied. Now look at the bowl that I have at the bottom of the page. We are guilty. We are sinners. Christ was not. We deserve to pay for our sins. Christ didn't deserve that cruel death on the cross, but because He loved us, He paid the price of our sins. Top of the page, interesting. This is probably the verse that you would use to help more people, Jewish people, to come to the Lord. Because it's so simple and so clear. All we like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> We have turned everyone to his own way. Isn't that a description of the world? Everybody wants to go their own way. Nobody likes anybody to tell them what they can and cannot do. That's why man and woman get married. I'll just do whatever you say, honey. Don't believe it, man. <laughs> this is a con job. Because afterwards she can't do it. I could get sidetracked here. But I'm not, I'm not. Look at the statement. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the main salvation verse you will probably use in leading a Jewish person to the Lord because it's so good and so clear. 